Hello and uh, welcome to this uh, latest episode of the Cisco Technology Podcast. Uh, it's me, Justin Mullen, and I've actually got away from Mark Jackson this week because I've actually come to Cisco Live. So it's absolutely an amazing environment to be in, very noisy. Uh, and we're going to do some interviews today with uh, some solutions people, some people from Cisco, and uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. So, hi, it's uh, so Justin Willen here at Cisco Live, and I'm in the world of solutions, and I'm with Lone Rooftop. Now, I bumped into these guys a couple of weeks ago. They uh, had a phone call with them, and they do some great, have a great solution with Wi-Fi analytics. So I'm with Marcel. Yes, nice Hello. to meet you. And nice to meet you. And I'm with Yuri as well. Yep, nice uh, to meet you. So, guys, so I know you do about, you, you use Wi-Fi analytics, but can you give us a bit more of a a view of what your solution is and why I think it's so awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we do is we calculate uh, the position uh, of people indoors and we translate that into an occupancy number. And by that we can always determine how many people are where at what moment in time. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, real estate managers or facility managers, they use the data to optimize their usage of space. Um, and there's a lot of inefficiency in these large buildings. Uh, for example, what we see in offices is that about 30% of the office is empty during office hours. And the facility manager and the real estate manager, they are aware of this fact, but um, they just don't know where this hidden, unused real estate is. And we provide them with the data to actually find it and optimize the use of space. Um, and so where do you get that data from? Because I know, you, so go on, you answer the question, I'll stop asking it for you. Yeah. So the question was, uh, where, do you, where do you get the data from? Oh yeah, so we get the data from uh, primarily the Wi-Fi network. So we get data from the CMX, uh, the Cisco CMX, and um, that's the primary data source. And then on top of that, we can add other data sources, such as the entrance gates, or Bluetooth beacons, or, or desk sensors, or people counters. or So it could be anything really, but the main one is Wi-Fi. Yeah. Uh, and we've talked about on the podcast previously about CMX, so our customers are aware of that. Um, or people listening should be aware of it. Um, but they also the pulling in from the other bits as well, the other sensors, like door sensors. And then if you want to get sort of room level accuracy, that's where you can put in sensors in a room as well to get that. Exactly. Level. Yeah. Basically, what we always say is we, we uh, deliver data. We help you to get from zero, zero insights to about 90% with just the software implementation. Yeah, because I've met a, a couple of uh, real estate managers and they walk around with clipboards or they have people walking around with clipboards over a period of two weeks and trying to measure sort of the, uh, that occupancy at a point of time. But the one thing that I uh, really liked is is your integration with other other software platforms. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so, so indeed we integrate with other software platforms as well. We have developed a few applications ourselves, but uh, as you can imagine, there's so many different services around the building that want to use this kind of data. So there's a larger cleaning companies that actually use our data and have built an application on top of it to make the, the cleaning service more intelligent. And instead of just following a standard route through the building and clean every room, they now actually use it um, to decide what room meets priority in cleaning first and they can either also skip some of the rooms that are not being used and uh, they have a whole new way of approaching their... So, so if I got that right then, so you can understand which rooms are being used, so if, they, if a room's not been used, it doesn't need cleaning. Exactly. So, you can, so even just from that, you can just work out how to be more efficient 
and clean the way and within regarding just cleaning of the building now and you integrate with other things as well don't you yeah we do uh, for example the building management system and we integrate with that um, uh, to have a more responsive way in which the lighting and the climate systems actually work so if we detect zero people the light and climate system switches off and if we uh, detect more people than what the building management system was uh, set for then we can actually say hey there's more people you need to uh, adjust the climate a bit more so people don't start to complain about the heat um, oh, right yeah into the air conditioning or the heat in the heating systems as well yeah oh wow and just to add to that specifically for uh, education um, there's another application that we've developed that we call clocks the classroom occupancy system and um, it basically came from uh, the fact that real the, the biggest real estate issue within uh, education is that uh, they have a lot of real estate. We're not talking about tens of thousands of square meters, but hundreds of thousands of square meters often. And what happens is that um, a lot of that is um, um, education capacity. So there are large education buildings with large classrooms. Uh, they can, they can uh, uh, seat up to a few hundred people often. And what happens is that um, these classrooms are being uh, reserved by the timetabling team. They are booked. Um, but a lot of the time, for, for whatever reason, the class doesn't take place. So that's, that's called a no-show. So it's reserved, but no one shows up. So it remains empty for the entire uh, couple of hours. Another thing that's, happened, that's happening there a lot is that a classroom is booked for uh, a couple of hours um, for perhaps 200 people because the professor, the teacher, he, uh, he uh, requests for a class of 200 people. But what, ha what happens is no more than 40 people pitch. So that's very inefficient use of this, of these, uh, this, this large classroom. Um, so no-shows and underutilized uh, classrooms is one of the biggest issues within, uh, within uh, real estate, within education. And what we do there is obviously we can, uh, we can count the amount of people that are in those classrooms. Um, and we've integrated with um, um, uh, timetabling software, uh, one of the leading timetabling software companies in, um, in the world actually, called uh, Scientia. And their timetabling solution called Syllabus Plus uh, is used within a lot of uh, specifically higher education institutions. And what we do is by uh, correlating the timetabling data with the data that we get from our platform Pi, the position intelligence engine, is exactly show the facility manager, the real estate manager and the timetablers how many no-shows actually take place, which classes are underutilized, and we can do that on um, pretty much a real-time uh, real manner. And from there on, they can start, start uh, optimizing um, their, their, um, their, their schedules, their timetables. So you can, you can go from, let's say, now what you see is 20, 30% no-shows typically take place within universities. Some even go to almost 50% no-shows, massive inefficiency. And one of the uh, one of the success stories with us is a, a Dutch university, and they are at the moment uh, uh, all the way down to uh, less than three percent no-shows. That's that's amazing, because that's when I've had meetings with universities, and, and, and especially around the London area, their real estate is is a prime asset, and making sure it's been utilised. And I've met with a couple of of um, real estate directors who and they want to get that level of knowledge they want to get that level of accuracy and then the one thing it pulls out was the that inter interlock into the scheduling system into the timetabling system and this is the first time i've seen anybody who, who's sort of done that because that's the thing they kept on asking going so when i've talked about cmex does it integrate into into uh, syllabus plus and we're going i don't know does it? And, and, and now is in and obviously you guys from, from Lone Rooftop have come along and you've been able to do that because you've seen a real 
use of how analytical data from the Wi-Fi network and other sources can actually give you real business intelligence. And so they can make sure, and the one thing, the stories that I get told about academics will book a room because it's the nicest room and it has all the facilities in it, but they will either, they will never fill it because they just have a smaller class. But having that intelligence to be able to really improve the service of the students, because students may not be able to get a class because they can't get a room. Exactly. So, it's, so from my perspective, it's absolutely awesome. It's a great solution, and it's using our Wi-Fi analytics, which is all great, because uh, I'm a bit of a Wi-Fi fan. Uh, all people on the podcast will know that already. So, guys, uh, is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, yeah, maybe one thing. Well, go on then. Yeah, so, uh, because a lot of people ask us, how do you get the name Lone Rooftop? I, I was wondering, and I spelt it wrong about three times. <laughs> so, let me explain. So, so, we founded the company about two and a half years ago, and uh, we were a real startup. We didn't have an office, and you either start in the basement or at the attic, and we literally started on top of a roof. And what we, uh, we we tried to come up with a name, and it was very a very forced name. We, we had all kinds of keywords that we wanted to connect to our business, and it, it didn't really sound right. So we decided, let's stick to ourselves. Where have we been working this entire summer on this rooftop? And then, then we figured, hey, from a rooftop, you have a different perspective on buildings. And that's also what we want to achieve with our technology. We mm -hmm. want to give people a different perspective on the building. And that's when we decided, hey, this rooftop is actually really nice to use for our company name. But then rooftop.com was already taken. Oh. So we had to come up with something. Um, and we figured that everyone in the center of Amsterdam, where we are based, everyone in the center has a rooftop terrace. But we were the only ones actually working there and the only ones actually sitting on that rooftop. Uh, and that's where the word loan came from. And that's how loanrooftop.com, it was still available. And that's how we got the name. Um, but I it's great. It, it was a, great a nice name, addition story. to the interview. Right? I just see uh, you sitting. See in my head, I've got I've got you sat there on a, a rooftop in a in a like sunbathing or something like that, just catching the rays, doing a bit of coding. This is really great and coming up with a decent product. It most probably wasn't like that. I'm sure it was. Like it that. is sort of like oh, that. Was it? Yeah, yeah, it right, was. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't that it, far off. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was. It was a very uh, uh, inspiring environment, and also uh, it was a very relaxed way of working. Uh, but uh, now we have been uh, in the business for two and a half years, and uh, now we are not sitting at a rooftop anymore. We have a very decent office. You're in an office and, uh, now. Yeah, there's no sunbathing and uh, <laughs> any kind of those things yeah. anymore. No. <laughs> well, um, Marcel, Yuri, it's been great to meet you. Um, Likewise. If anybody's interested, go to LoneRooftop.com. Yep. There you go, and you can find out more. Yeah. Thanks very much. Thank you. So, uh, another soundbite from Cisco Live over in Berlin. So I'm been oh, got pulled to one side by Rachel, our marketing lady, and she said, "You need to have a chat with Jonathan." I'm like, "Jonathan who?" He said, "So here I am with Jonathan. Do you want to introduce yourself? What's your name? Yeah. Where you come from?" I'm Jonathan Galad. I'm at the Cisco Live in Berlin, out of. Tel Aviv and I work on enterprise networking and DNA in the marketing team but don't hold that against me Justin I won't I won't hold it against you All even right. though that's what I have to do for a living <laughs> and it's not just podcasting but yeah I have to do Cisco EN DNA digital network architecture digital network architecture the one and only it's our journey to the future of networking yeah and what we're really excited about is what we're announcing today around our DNA advisor program DNA advisor Yep, indeed. What? Go on, explain. All right. So what we actually realized about a year ago is that 
the DNA framework, the digital network architecture framework, provides a great platform for customers to understand how to move to a future software-centric network infrastructure that really aligns much better to the business. But they really had no idea what the journey to that future is. So we actually work together with IDC Research and our internal experts to develop a journey roadmap that we call our digital network readiness model. Right, okay. And that readiness model is basically a five-stage readiness model, like all the best readiness or maturity models, if you like. Yeah. And it takes us from where many customers and IT organizations are today, which is best effort, just basically trying to map or configure the network to support business requirements on an ad hoc basis to this future self-driving network infrastructure that actually continuously aligns to business requirements. So if I take this into my day-to-day -day job as, a, as an enterprise network specialist, we talk a lot of evangelizing stuff. We talk about automation, analytics, and all that sort of stuff. So what you're saying is that what you provide, the service you provide will help the customer map where they are now to where they need to get to and align their network to the business. Exactly. I, think I got it right. Got you looked at me funny then. I was, I was like, did I get it wrong? No. <laughs> Brilliant. I mean, obviously, you, you've been doing this for a long time, so you really got it straight away. But the, the concept is exactly that. It's understanding where you are with regards to multiple different types of networking capability. So it's capability-based, right? It's not talking about products. It's not talking about or bits solutions. and bytes. Or no. So bandwidth like, or anything like that. What is network delivering in terms of automation? So starting from very manual, device-centric, hardware-centric um, management to a much more automated, self-optimizing yeah. network infrastructure that really is provisioned automatically, configured automatically according to templates, yeah. and really supporting a much more automated environment for the network operations. Okay. It's also about analytics starting from you know just sort of proactively going into each device and digging out the um, analytics out of that device to one where the whole network is basically providing processed information to IT to the business to the service the security guys so really an analytics journey and then there's a service assurance journey from basically deploying on an ad hoc basis QoS in choke points maybe in the WAN to one where the network is automatically readjusting to meet different service level requirements. And that's quite a big jump though, isn't it? You, the, the example here about automation is going from a network that a network manager or an infrastructure manager or an IT director, whatever, would have a very, I'm really glad it's noisy here and people are walking around with rattly cages, but there we are. Um, so going from a network where it's nailed down, it's been tested, and it, but it works to a network that will be able to dynamically change itself based on what this the business requirements are of the network. And it's not going to happen overnight. And that, that's a jump though. And our customers look at that and go, I can see that why you would want to have this sort of conversation because or need this sort of help and process because it is a huge jump. And our customers look at it and go, how am I going to get to that? Is that is that where we come? That's where we're coming from, isn't it? That's exactly where we're coming from. And if you think about it. No one's, not everyone's going to jump in a self-driving car overnight either. I'm not. Right. I just go to sleep in it. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it's going to be a time that will, over time, we're going to see this evolution. But 
at each phase of this evolution, there are going to be benefits. Okay. So as you start moving to automation, you'll identify specific domains that need automation more than others. Maybe yeah. it's in the web. Maybe it's in providing QoS. So Semantic, for example, okay. just rolled out easy QoS so that they could really provision new applications much faster. So, so Matt, and that got called out at the uh, at the keynote today as well. So, Semantic, as a as a uh, as an enterprise organization, not as a security organization, but as an enterprise organization, use our APIC tool, application policy infrastructure controller hash dash enterprise module, to deploy their quality of service on the network. Exactly. Right, okay. And they did, that, and that's a specific domain that they've deployed automation. And they'll start looking at other domains until their whole network is automated, whether that's the WAN, whether that's the uh, campus, the access across the data yeah. center, so that they have automation across the network. And then eventually, all of that will come together with analytics, with service assurance, with automation to create this closed loop capability okay. of providing that continuous alignment to the business. So is this thing we're talking about, this digital net DNA advisor? Yeah. What is it? Is it, a, so, is it an online tool? Is it? A, there are basically four components. The first component is the, is the readiness model we were just discussing. Yeah. And that's the basis, right? So it's a five-stage readiness model from best effort to self-driving going through manual, yeah. semi-automated, so automated. A, so is this a, uh, like a, a bunch of questions that customer has to fill out? Exactly. So what, what we then did with IDC is we rolled out a survey to 2,000 customers to understand where customers are today yeah. and where they plan to be in two years. Okay. Once we had that data, we were able to create both an online self-assessment so customers can go into cisco.com slash go slash DNA advisor and actually do a self-assessment of where they stand vis-a-vis -vis their peers in industry, in country, and according to company size. So, so we'll just let you know where you are. It's, for example, I don't know, I, I did this the other day, I got told the other day when I put some um, uh, connected lighting or connected heating into my house and it, the report you get back is where, where you sit against my neighbors right. in the same sort of house, in the similar sort of neighborhood, so you can work out where. And it's exactly the same thing. So as a company, you can measure yourself off against your peers. So if and that's right, he's nodding at me now, so I'm assuming I've got it right. Absolutely, yeah. And so what, what, what do you do with that then? So you know so where you are, you know where you are. Out of this self-assessment, you get a report that also tells you what are the opportunities to move to the next stage and what are the potential business benefits of moving from your current stage to that next stage. So that's all in this online report. It's very, very straightforward, takes 10 minutes, and you've got this IDC report that provides you with that information that you can then share with your management and say, look, this is where we are. These are the peers. These are the business benefits of moving to the next stage. So, who, who inside a customer IT department would would do this? IT network architects. Whoever's really got a sense of the network strategy and architecture today, and, and responsibility for that architecture moving. So, forward. it wouldn't be one of the network technicians. It would be someone fairly sort of senior architect, architect type person. Yeah. Someone that really has a view into the network strategy. Okay, yes. great. Now, the other aspect of this is if you want to go to the next level, on the same readiness model, there are guided assessments that both our Cisco sales teams and our partners can sit down with our IT architect customers and really go through what does that full 
assessment looked like. And then even if you want to go to the next level, there are services. So we just rolled out DNA advisory service that also takes advantage of this readiness model. So it really is a continuum of, of So solutions. you can work out where you are by the survey. You can then go, right, I want to go on and take the next step. You do more questions and that provides you with more information then of where you need to get of the next steps and then point, signpost you to the right places to go. Exactly. And it identifies based on your IT priorities, your network challenges, and your level of readiness, what are the key priority network initiatives that you should be looking at in order to move your network forward. Great. So, tell them again where you can get where you can find Cisco. this. Cisco.com slash go slash DNA advisor. That's where all that information is, the IDC reports, the readiness, readiness model, and the self-assessment. And then if you want to request a guided assessment, that's, that's where to start. Jonathan, it's been great to meet you. Also a fan of the podcast, I'd say. Absolutely. I love the podcast and uh, I'm an avid listener. And hello, and uh, here's another soundbite from the Cisco Live and on the Cisco Technology Podcast. I am with Cisco old friend, friend of the podcast, Richard Roberts, who is now uh, at a company called Purple. I am indeed. Yeah, it lovely talking to you. And it's lovely to see you again, Richard. Been, it's been at least, I don't know, a couple of months. It has indeed, yes. <laughs> Nearly three months now. Three months. Ten months in, three months out. Yeah. So, um, I'm a big fan of Wi-Fi, as in we used to work at a, another previous Wi-Fi company a uh, long time ago. And uh, I've always, I love Wi-Fi, and the thing that's changed with Wi-Fi now is the analytical data you can get from it. And one of the big names in analytical data is Purple for small company but great great idea great software and can you just give us a, you mean for people who don't know what is purple and what what do you guys do that's a really good question i mean purple was born out of a very simple idea our founder and ceo gavin wielden was really really struggling to get onto guest wi-fi when he was traveling he used to travel a lot for work and he believed the experience should be better should be much better we, we've all been in that situation exactly exactly so his, his simple proposition was he believed he could bring a much nicer much cleaner much much smoother experience for guest wi-fi for everyone worldwide very simple idea yeah and from that idea we've then developed into much more of an analytical company because What's on everyone's lips right now is, if you're going to succeed, you need to have customer experience at the heart of everything that you do. Yeah. In order to have customer experience at the heart of everything you do, you need to know who your customers are. The analytics that we provide on, on, on Wi-Fi allow you to get to know your customers, and more than that, have a conversation with them. So you can build a yeah. relationship. And, and one way of looking at it is, if you look at Google Analytics, and the revolution in terms of what you can achieve with Google Analytics for your web conversations. Yeah. You know who you're talking to, what their likes are, you know how... Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> they know exactly what you're up to. But if you take that insight and put that into a physical space, think about what you can do with that information. So imagine in a, in a place like we are now, yeah. so we're in a massive exhibition hall at Cisco Live in Berlin, and being able to use Wi-Fi analytical data to yeah. understand which of the stands are the most... Uh, Try and think of the word now. Who went to the most? Which are the most popular stands? Yeah. Which where did people walk? How long do they stay but for? Also, what, what about the demographics of the people in the in the look? Do they congregate in particular places? Are there particular messages that are more appealing for a particular age group or yeah. a particular gender? 
um, or, or are there, there, there groups of individuals coming from a particular country that all yeah. take the same path and the route through? If you know that, you can change the messaging, you can change the offers, and you can engage with people much in a much richer way. So, so for those who are listening who haven't maybe heard this concept before, is that everyone sort of pretty much walks around with a Wi-Fi device in their pocket as well, isn't it? And if you're because you've got that, it's it's either connected to the Wi-Fi or it's chirping away yeah. and so the Wi-Fi can be able to gather that analytical data and provide some analytical data on where that device yeah. is where it's going to and going from yeah. and to take that experience further is when we're talking about guest Wi-Fi because then you can capture more information yeah is that right yeah if you're a if you choose to use a social media logon to access Wi-Fi you don't have to you can have a registration form or you can have just um, an open guest Wi-Fi should you choose to but if you choose to use Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn then you provide the opportunity for the provider of the Wi-Fi to communicate with you in a much, much more personal way. Yeah. And you choose that. That's the important thing. We're not forcing people to use it, but the information is made available yeah. if you choose to log on by Facebook, for example. Yeah. Um, the great thing about that is that, that your, your likes, uh, what interests you, can allow the provider of the Wi-Fi all the information they need to keep all of the noise away from you yeah. and to ensure that every communication is relevant to you. Yeah, I get it. So you're not getting bombarded by stuff that's totally not relevant to you because of the information you're providing Absolutely. at your log. Is that is that the point of log on, or is that whenever? So if you choose to use Facebook to log on, yeah, our APIs are connected to Facebook. We can pull your Facebook yeah. profile and all of your likes, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, from that. So that's that's the choice that you make to access the Wi-Fi. That's the information you're making available. And that's just making it easy, though, isn't it? Yeah. And also, can you use Google sign in at Google Absolutely. as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're trying to make it as simple as possible. Whatever, whatever your world is, we're yeah. whatever. There is a way of logging on in a way that you are most comfortable with. Yeah. But also, I mean, there's some very practical things. We're in a room here where the Wi-Fi, however good it is, is going to be limited. It is so, good because it's Cisco. I am biased. I know who pays the mortgage. But if you have half of the population here downloading a new version of iOS, for example, onto their mobile device, that could have an an impact on terms of the the quality of service you can provide to everybody. So the ability to, to, to ramp down the amount of downloads that people can do, for example, can be quite useful. The ability yeah. to make um, certain individuals, VIP users, if you like, completely oh. and utterly unfettered, so they got total access. All of that you can do. So you can craft the experience based on, A, the value to you, or the brand that you're trying to export to that particular customer. So what kind of information can you then gather? Because we talked a bit about by logging on, you can work out your likes, your dislikes. But what, if I was a, an organization or a business, yeah. And I'm using purple. What what would I get? What kind of analytical data would I get? What what analytical data is useful? So let me give you an example. So we've we've got um, purple deployed in Camden Lock. Now, if you've been to Camden Lock, you'll know it's a very very bohemian type place. It's uh, it's where the old stables for the canal barges were. Oh, so okay. It's, it's a lot of stone buildings. It's not the easiest to put Wi-Fi in there, but it's actually attracted a load of. Um, uh, uh, traditional clothes shops, um, music shops, um, a, a lot of venues that attract youngsters. Mm-hmm. So knowing the likes of the individuals that are flowing through there, you can change the products that you sell to be more appropriate to the individual. So the the, um, the, the landlord at, uh, at Camden Lock was able to understand fully what the community of customers were, change how they potentially charge for retail units based on the footflow, 
but also help those retail units understand the kind of people that are going to walk past their window and therefore the kind of products that should be in their window to get them into the store. That's massively valuable. Massively valuable. Wow. So from a retail perspective then, because you, you're understanding using the analytical data you get from signing on with Facebook or yep. other, other sign-on mechanisms are available, you can sort of then provide that to say these people are walking past, this is what their likes are, I can then tailor my products that I sell or the way that I brand my store to get people in. So the question to me is, is this, I mean, and that's kind of a lot, that's, we're talking small, small businesses there, small retailers, or we're talking big retailers or anything in between? It's equally applicable to any retail size. Um, and if you think about some of the largest retailers in the world, they have a lot of footfall through many different stores. So to have a single logon, seamless logon, to any store once you've logged on once, yeah. that's a great experience. But also the, the amount of information that you can gather from that individual, not just from the Wi-Fi, because remember, yeah. this is an extendable system. So you can put IoT sensors in there, for example. Oh. So you can start to link a huge amount of other things into um, uh, the data collection. And in doing so, you can create a much, much richer set of analytics as well. So we've talked about retail. Is, this, is, it, is that the main vertical that you focused on or are there other things? You can think of use cases in every vertical, I'm sure. But, but the ones that really now that are leading the way are hospitality. So hotels, restaurants, um, retail, venues, anything with a large footfall. This is a perfect example. Yeah. You, we don't know who's in here. And it's, it is interesting, the number of customers that have big venues, shopping centers, uh, exhibition halls, and they have no idea who is walking through it. I mean, how insane is that? Yeah. So you're trying to provide the best experience possible, but you don't even know who they are. Yeah. I mean, that, that, so um, any, any venue, any physical space with a large footfall, definitely, any physical space that has maybe multiple branches and you're trying to look at a single experience, I'll give you another example about, um, so if you have a chain of retail stores and your sales are dipping, wouldn't it be nice for you to know what domains the customers in your, in your stores are actually looking at while they're physically with you? So they're on a web browser, they're in John Lewis, however, other on, shops are available. They're on Amazon, for example. Isn't that a good thing to know? So if they then walk out and if you link that individual maybe to some presence around a, a point of sale, you'll know whether they spent any time during near the So in a, in a, in a real-time environment, you will be able to understand if a customer in your store is looking at your product somewhere else. You'll know what domain they're looking at, absolutely, on their, on their browser. That's quite, that's quite useful information. Yeah. There's other things that you can do even, even nicer than that. So that you're, on your, you're in your store, you're having a look at a particular product. You then go home and use that mobile device to buy something else from another store. You can link those two transactions, yeah. which is a pretty cool thing to be able yeah. to do. And then you can potentially revenue share between the people that you're actually buying from and the store. So that even if people come into your store but buy online, you still get some revenue from ah. it. That's quite a neat way of evolving commerce. So we've talked about retail yeah. again. You mean, would this be something you would use in a hospital? Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a great call. So recently, there's been an announcement that every hospital in the UK, for example, needs to offer public Wi-Fi, both in terms of the communal areas, the coffee shops, etc., but also across, across the hospital. Yeah, because you can have them on the wards now and stuff, because I know I've been in a hospital with, for yeah. certain reasons. And they have to get Wi-Fi and be and to work, which is unfortunate. And providing the best, the seamless... Um, uh, way of getting onto Wi-Fi because the majority of or, or a large proportion of users in those 
particular environments are probably not that IT savvy. Mm -hmm. Are probably not um, as, as savvy as you, Justin. I'm not that savvy. So, so we need to make it easy, but we also need to ensure that what they get as a service is a service that they deserve as well. Um, and the Wi-Fi infrastructure has a limitation in the hospital. You want to be able to make sure the right people, for example, the medical staff, have more access where appropriate than people just browsing the internet from the coffee shop. Okay. All of that is possible. Okay. So this is a, a great analytics software. Um, how does it work with regards to, say, for example, Cisco Wi-Fi? Well, it complements everything that Cisco Wi-Fi can deliver. So we, we are built upon the strength of world-class APs from Cisco, be it Cisco Aeronet or Cisco Meraki. Yeah. We take every piece of information you can give us and we add that to the Wi-Fi information that we have and we use that to create the environment. Oh, and you get, we get that information, you get that information from our CMX, yes, our Connected absolutely. Mobile Experience. So absolutely. it's a, a virtual machine or appliance that runs your network that sucks all this analytical data off the Wi-Fi yep. and then feeds it up via an API to to what? To, is it in the cloud? All in the cloud. All in the cloud. No uh, modifications required on any AP. Seamlessly implemented. Very similar model, if you like, to Meraki. Yeah. In terms of all cloud-based, infinitely scalable, global. So a customer would buy your service, they would go onto your website, they would then customize how their, uh, their guest portal would look like or their guest user experience would look like. And then they can just start gathering information. Well, it's not a website, it's actually a dashboard. So dashboard, sorry. And it's, but it's, it's their dashboard. The whole point is we're empowering users to use their data to make decisions and actually take actions from the analysis that we give them. And that's the important thing. Give easy access to the network, provide the analysis to that customer for the customer to make the right business decisions and take action on it. Wow, great. So, in summary then, we have a cloud-based dashboard that can be used that integrates seamlessly into Cisco and Meraki uh, Wi-Fi. It's uh, trying to think of the right words now. Oh, gone blank. So it's cloud-based. Uh, the customer signs up, and then they start gathering all that. And so it's for guest Wi-Fi, and then with the guest when you with the guest Wi-Fi, you get the analytical data. Absolutely, you can. It's completely non-intrusive. We can turn it on remotely. It becomes something that, that you can bring into your business with minimal disruption. And you don't need to be IT literate to get the value from it. Wow. Massively powerful. That's great. So, another reason to have Wi-Fi. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Wi-Fi everywhere. It's great to see you again. Thanks very much. And uh, hopefully see you again soon. Thank you, Justin. Uh, hello and welcome to another soundbite from the Cisco Technology Podcast. It's me, Justin Woolen, and I'm honoured. Oh, Honoured oh. to be joined by Rob Boyd, the Rob Boyd. I say Cisco celebrity. I just tweeted that and asked my new hashtag. Oh, really? Cisco celebrity. Well, I'm very honored to, yeah. to even be considered any kind of celebrity. Well, um, you are to me. I watch you a Cisco. lot. I watch you a lot on uh, on YouTube. Oh, thank you. On the TechWise TV channel, and uh, I see you around all the time. You're always at Cisco Live or the the big ones, anyway. The big and this ones. Being the European I like to make one. a few more. Yeah. But, it, but we do a lot of these shows, and frankly, this is the um, what I love about Cisco Live. I'll just go ahead and take over and no, start, no, no, tromp, start tromping on you. Two talkers trying to have a podcast. Um, but it's the people. It's the, um, you know, certainly running into you, but it's just everybody here that you suddenly, it's like a, every year it's like a family reunion type of thing where you reconnect. And, and, and a lot of people, maybe we've worked on the phone together a lot, but never physically. Uh, just a lot of things come back together and kind of crystallize. And yeah, I, really I like totally it. agree with that because there's, I mean, I've been in Cisco 10 years. It's my anniversary on Sunday. 
So Congratulations. Yeah, I've got to pick some awesome gift. <laughs> as a be the 10-year gift. I think it's like a crystal globe or something. Oh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know what they still do. Yeah, yeah. I think it's sunglasses. You get a bag, something like that. I don't know. It was good. It was, it was interesting. That's anyway, fun. but it's, there's guys you bump into. Because I, 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 I came here last minute, as in my boss went, do you want to go to Cisco Live? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to yeah. take the podcast with me. Um, and you're bumping into people that I haven't seen since I was an SA. And it's great to catch up. There's guys from the product managers from the business unit that I haven't right. seen for ages. I mean, there was a guy, Fred Neuhaus, and he's seen for years. And seen he's like, hey, Justin, what are you doing here? And it's like, it was great to see him. And it is yeah. that thing of connecting back with people. Do you have trouble with uh, losing people in context? Because here it's, at least you have the Cisco context. And you know, it relates to something like that. But, but there are so many people you potentially could recognize that sometimes it's hard to go, uh, you know, was it cloud? Was it services? Was it data yeah. center? Was it, you know, and I don't and know. You, you I bump into, yeah, but you bump into them and you go, what are you doing now? And you're doing something totally different. Right. Yeah. It's hard to track these career trajectories. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I've got a career trajectory. I've got some things going it's on. It's an angular these. motion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the reason I wanted to catch up with you, Rob, because yes, you talk a lot about technologies and, the one, and, and you cover everything on TechWise TV and I don't need to cover everything, but they, I mean, coming to Cisco Live, I thought there might be some things here that just stick out for you that you might want to talk about. Always. And, you know, the challenge is I feel like I forget it as fast as I learn it, or at least it feels that way. I forget every what I have for show, breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> every, every show is, a, is an opportunity to dig into something new and, and kind of fall in love with it uniquely and figure out if it's, worthy of, if it's worthy of being covered on the show, then ideally I should be able to find what do I love about it, what makes it different, and how could we uniquely talk about it, and maybe hopefully talk about it different than how someone else would be doing it. Yeah. Essentially, I'm just trying to help tell other people's stories. Well, and, and that's why I plagiarize your stuff and, and do Please it on the do. podcast. That's the ultimate, <laughs> that is, is the ultimate compliment. Because it is trying to take something that can be inherently complicated or seem complicated, and we're happy to, and people are very happy to talk about complicated stuff. Yeah. And make it to be easily digestible, and get the get the get the uh, what's the scoop? What is the real thing that I really need to know? What's the yeah. valuable thing, and what what's the hook that's going to make me want to go away and investigate it some more? Right. I think that's the bit. And I also like watching how to work stuff out, as in go and watching your animations and things like that, because then at least I know how things work. As right. Well. Well, you know, and it's funny because there's always become a point in time, and there's probably a frustration with every single topic we cover that I always feel like we could have done it better, because uh, the, the preparation. We're in draft mode all the way up to the point that it ends up on camera. And there's a little bit of tweaking you can do off camera, but really, for the most part, it's like you never feel like you really finish. And so, to a certain extent, that's why I love the fact that I've been able to do it for a while because it does give me a chance to circle back and, and get, another, uh, uh, get another chance to target a topic and try yeah. to do it a little bit cleaner, a little bit more passionate, perhaps, a little bit deeper. Is it? I don't know. A bit off script, even though no, we've got please. a script about three topic, two no, things. Very detailed notes. Uh, <laughs> your audience should be aware of that. You take you put yeah. a lot of work into your preparation. Oh yeah, yeah. all three Everybody lines of it. Everybody should know yeah, yeah, yeah. the passion you have. But um, so, is there anything that you've re revisited and gone? Do you know what? That is something that 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 stuck out for you. And this is yeah, only well, just because you just said it just then. You, you get yeah. a chance to revisit things again. And is there something that sticks out? Well, there's two. What's funny? Uh, so. On one hand, you would say there's nothing new under the sun, and so that's why I say there's. Uh, they say no matter what I do anyway, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the creator at Cisco. I'm not even the engineer that invents anything. I'm just trying to help those. Any one of us, you know, you were an SE, um, just help us all crystallize it a bit better. Two shows that we've just been doing. One we finished recently that was just released on the digital building switch oh. was kind of a. Um, was a not a rehashing, but it was it was a it was a maturation of the story we had done almost 12 months ago with uh, digital ceiling, 
And so we did digital ceiling, and I was fascinated by the topic, even though it kind of broke some of my rules. Generally on the show, I don't like to talk about anything that's not really a deployable, shippable yeah. type of product. But I was fascinated by the concept behind it, because at first, it, like a lot of things start, I did not like the idea. So essentially with digital ceiling, what it really boiled down to, and if I was to be very negative about it, I would say, ah, okay, so basically LED lights have gotten down to a, a power efficiency rating that we can now drive them with a PoE switch. So a yeah. switch port could drive a set of lights. And, you know, and of course, any engineer that hadn't approached this topic in their head already, would be, why would you want to use an expensive, expensive switch port to drive lights? You know, there may be some value and you can yeah. begin to see how it becomes a platform, but it still seems like a, a ridiculously complicated way to justify more ways to sell switch Yeah, and why would you stick a switch in my roof space? Yeah, exactly. They're really not made for that. No. You know, they're not, uh, at least they weren't. Uh, and so that's what the physicality of that one, you know, I enjoyed, I dug into that one. It was a, it was an excuse to go deeper on LED technology and dig into the backgrounds. I always try to find historical angles. And I went down this fascinating route that probably never really became that clear on the digital ceiling show, but it was around... We got a chance to go out to Cree in uh, Raleigh in North Carolina. Um, just happens that Cisco's there as well, but that's where Cree uh, has their semiconductor fab for making the, uh, these high quality LEDs that they make. And Cree has a great reputation, and they're one of our partners for making uh, some of the, the highest quality LEDs. Because as, as anything that's gotten popular with any technology around us, you know, mass market stuff takes over and there's cheaper versions of everything. But what became the, the, the defining difference in an LED was uh, that we were missing all along. For us to get light that we would use in a, in a, in a physical space, we needed a, a certain type of white light. And as you probably know, I think many people know this, if they're any remote user of photography, you know, there's different qualities of white from the blue spectrum to the, to the yellow. Yeah. And, um, and as the sun goes across the sky, you know, things rotate through that. I, I didn't know that. I, oh, I you did just, not? Okay. No, no, no. Well, it's... <laughs> Well, it's one reason why you have to color balance, and it becomes an issue with the video stuff that we do. We have to match because that's the why lights we that's, use here may not match the light coming in from the ambient side. What was that? You that's said? what I just saying. That's why you stick to audio. So you don't have to worry uh, about yeah, things yeah. like that. Oh, that is. It gets infinitely more complicated. But it's also fascinating. Turns out what we couldn't do for the longest time was blue LED. And so, and if you think RGB, so you think red, green, blue, and the challenge was that we couldn't create white light because we couldn't get the right high intensity. In other words, a level of brightness out of any blue, because LED started, you know, like we all have remote controls, yeah. so you have infrared, um, and that doesn't require very much power and doesn't need to have, doesn't need to illuminate anything really, it's just got to be picked up by a receiver. Um, but to make light that we could see by, you know, we got cheaper disco lights now because we could do all these colors, uh, but once we got a high quality blue that Cree was able to help um, take some Japanese uh, in, uh, Nobel Prize winning, I want to say. I can't remember the price. So I shouldn't be quoted on any of that. But, That's but okay. either way, they were able to grow blue since essentially what they're able to do and get a high quality out of that and then mass produce it so that we could get the RGB, red, green, blue, to create a pure type of white. And so having a high quality white was what was key to us being able to use light in a facility like, like we're in now. We're in this huge room that's currently lit by tube fluorescence. Yeah. Uh, that all give us all of a kind of a yellow pasty look yeah. uh, that we're all used to and probably gives headaches over time. Yeah. That's, that's what I remember. Get headaches and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. You get that office yeah, yeah. Uh, feel. Anyway, this is a long way to go into this story, but that's good. The digital ceiling was, was that, you know, we can power these LEDs. Now we can do more creative things because they could create, recreate any colors. Uh, so there's a lot more innovative things you can do from a lighting perspective. And they're so small and they don't emit heat, so you can put them in more creative places because there's ah. no uh, heat to get rid of. Um, and then when I started digging into the digital building switch, I was still a little bit like, okay, now we're making a switch. 
that specifically addresses your issue of getting a lower price per port. Yeah. But there were some unique things about the switch because as I started digging into it, think about when you go to build a building, because we're selling this switch to a different market. So this is different for Cisco because an IT person's not going to buy the digital building See, switch. See, that's the hardest bit is that we, yeah. I mean, I remember looking at energy wise and all that sort of stuff a long time ago. And that was really hard because you, you, the conversation is not an IT conversation. You're yeah. going to speak to building contractors and, and, and they don't know, we don't know how to talk building. Nope. They don't know how to talk IT. So. And they don't even think to ask and they wouldn't look, right? Yeah. So, well, some of the things they built into the switch, for instance, that I, I thought was maybe it's just overly obvious, especially in hindsight, but it's the fact that, okay, if the switch is going to be put in by someone that's not IT, generally IT doesn't come into new construction until electricity's in, the walls yeah. are in, usually there's already HVAC and some stuff to, you know, so you have a nice environment and your equipment's not going to be ruined. Well, the switch has to be pretty tough to go into some strange environments like a ceiling yeah. or inside a wall. Um, it doesn't need to be 10100 10100's fine because it's not going to be plugged anything that's an incredible amount of data. But we need UPOE instead of POE because we need a higher amount, a higher amount of um, uh, electricity. Essentially, I'm not an EE um, flowing through that. You know, so you can chain your lights together and, and uh, get it to a to kind of a, a logical point yeah. that you have enough lights off one switch port to make sense. Um, but then they had some stuff I thought was kind of old school. There was a, um, a CF card slot on the switch as it's come out, and I'm like, well, why do you need a compact flash card? And it's for sneaker netting the. Um, sneaker netting? That's, oh, that's never heard. Oh, you ever heard that? So sneaker net would be when you don't have network. Um, like if I was to give you a file and I put it on USB so you can put it on your computer, that would be a sneaker net. Instead of networking it, I'm just carrying it physically. Ah. So using my sneakers to walk it around. Does that make sense? I get it. See, I went in my head, went sneaky, as oh, in behind like people's back, not knowing, bit of a... Oh, well, that making data well. type thing. <laughs> stick it on USB stick and then smuggling out of your, sneaking out of your organization. Yeah, I don't well, want to go there too. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll stay away from the security conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. only because I'm, I can, I'm going to say your name soon, and we're going to write. Yeah, well, exactly. No, don't give away all my tricks. But okay, so so the idea behind the CF card is that the switch is going to go into a uh, a building, uh, and and ideally, and be in, it has to be so simple so that it can be installed by the electrician. Or even, ah. actually even better, after the electrician. So now you save a ton of money where electrician's not running those high voltage thick cables yeah. up into the ceiling, because you pay a lot for that, that uh, a lot of the I don't know what it's like in the US, but in the UK, it'll be the same guys who'll do the electrics will do the network cabling as well. Some cases, but that's actually, you're usually paying, to, in the US, I'd say more often you're not wanting to do that unless you really have to, because your, uh, your low voltage cable, which are ethernet, can be done by a lower, um, skilled person that doesn't have to have all the same oh, certifications right, okay. and you don't have to get it certified you can run that the city in most situations in the, uh, the US doesn't require that that be a certified install okay and so you save a ton of money as a, as a contract or excuse me as a um, developer by suddenly limiting the amount of space that you have to pay for someone who's a high wage yeah. to run that wiring and then what you and so what they do now is they wire to a specific point where your switch is going to go in. So as part of the switch, we sell it's not a chassis, but it's like a frame that has the high voltage on the back, and the switch can actually slide in to this chassis in the back just to connect electricity. Right, and so okay. the idea is you pay your electrician to simply um, connect your high voltage and, and leave it alone after it connects to that chassis. So you, all you're doing is wiring the back of the chassis. Exactly. You're not, you're not I'm doing not saying a, this very well. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 It's great because I'm just repeating it back just to no, make sure I've understood it. Yeah. Um, and, and so they'll just push it in there and, and that's into that chassis and that's how you power. You wouldn't be pushing a kettle lead as we call it in the UK, a kettle lead in the back yeah. of the switch. Nope. And 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 that's what's nice. And then so now your low voltage guy can come in 
and simply push the switch in and then run your low voltage cabling to your lights. Um, and the switch was designed so that uh, it could, would connect and there's a very, very simple app we, we release with the switch that connects via Bluetooth because you need your low voltage guide just to be able to double check that the cables were connected and yeah. the light come on. But you don't want to have to call an IT guy to do it even though it's a switch. So you want a non-IT guy to just slide it in, run the cable, plug in the light, test that the light works, and then walk And you'll away. do all that via, via Bluetooth on this app. I mean, we saw the demo earlier on today in the keynote. Yes. Uh, which I thought was awesome. And, I mean, yeah. we were going, we're going to have the demo gremlins are going to happen, and oh, it's yeah. all not going to work. They had and some when they're leading up to it, I saw. Yeah, yeah it was funny. It was, yeah, they were doing, and then it worked again. He went, let me just do it again. Let yeah. me restart the app. And it worked. And you're like, oh, God. But, uh, yeah, but it's just so simple. Yeah, just so the whole simple. Idea is how do you have an unskilled person perhaps do as much of that work as possible because it all has to happen before IT ever comes in uh, and you don't want them opening up a because there is no network in the building and that's why the CF card is for putting in your configuration and just walking it switch to switch but then what would you bring it all back to because the bit all comes in my head then is if you're going to making it unskilled and you've got building contractors putting in all this these switches everywhere mm-hmm. you mean they could start like daisy chaining and just doing bad networking practice yeah well they so they all terminate just to that switch so they would be essentially in that situation every and the design would depend on the load for that amount but essentially it's uh you've got distributed zones of these digital building switches and that could be where the network ends there's no real network there they can talk to each so other it would just be it. an isolated network just providing lighting initially or then you when it comes in they continue to extend that and that may be part of the plans to where now you bring it onto the network you have it in its own segment vlan or whatever so that from a trust sec perspective or something like that it's not going to communicate with something that's not allowed to communicate with um and so you could network it and then begin to do more creative things because now all those imagine you've now got all this cable that you could use to put in more sensors and do more things with the ambient light, do things with shifting temperatures, uh, occupancy sensors, and things like this. You've already got that digital ceiling in place, yeah. and now you could expand it at a low cost because you're not building little silos of stuff on a unique uh, wireless frequency or something like that. Yeah. Wow. I, what's funny is, is when we talk about this, because we're doing it more off the cuff, is that I don't... I feel like I'm breaking all my rules of being concise. No, it's great. Because I haven't thought through how to say it again in a concise manner, so I'm rambling. That's okay. No, we don't mind. We do rambling a lot. Uh, (laughs) I want to ask you to do one thing, though. Can you say a shout-out to Mark Jackson? Oh, yeah. Hey, Mark Jackson. What's going on? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in for you, trying to gun him for your job. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm cheating on him. I'm cheating. <laughs> I keep saying I'm cheating on him. It seems. Uh, <laughs> I'm not right. I'll return you. Don't worry. <laughs> there you go. So that, that's really interesting because that digital ceiling stuff is because is, I remember seeing it and I'm going, really? Are we really going to yeah. go down that space? You have to really dive into it because it doesn't make sense. But now you, I don't know. I'm more sold on it and I'm probably, you know, very much drinking the Kool-Aid. But uh, I, I think it's interesting. And, and I had met with a customer, uh, it turns out in Fort Worth, we did a customer story with him. And he was able to confirm for me my biggest gripe, which is, does this, does this really cost you more so you could just say that you did it this way? Because it, so how could it be, how could you run lights? But he was saying he was saving money and he showed me the math on it. And the biggest money savings was not having to pay his uh, high voltage uh, certified electrician and also not having to stop down all his construction process for city inspections. So he was able to skip an inspection step. So you could, you could so if I'm gonna put up a new building, and then instead of running proper, normal 110, 240 volt mains, mm-hmm. for, for, or 220 for us Europeans, right. um, you don't have to go through, and because I'm running cat whatever cable, cat six cable, cat five cable, whatever, I don't have to get a certification process to approve my lighting wiring. 
That is, is that way the U.S. at least? Because yeah, on yeah. that low voltage, you don't have to get it. A, it's similar to when we rolled out PoE for access points. And one of our yeah. go-to-market plays was was talking about the fact that now you don't have to pay for a certified electrician just to run AC power yeah. up to that access point because that was going to be a more expensive deployment thing. So now what it is, you're still running the high voltage, but you're stopping at the wall. Yeah. Uh, and you're stopping at these central points. You're not having to run it all the way so up to the So you're not doing the run yet. So you're doing so you're to whatever. work in half or yeah. better. Oh, wow. Is really I sort of get it. it. I get it. Now. And then the inspections then become less because you don't have as much to inspect. And then what he was also doing is working with a partner of ours called New Leds who makes something called a spice box. And that's their name of it. But it's a POE, uh, excuse me, a um, LED driver. So what he was doing is he, he, he kind of um, disaggregated the process a little bit further by going to his lighting manufacturer, the, what they call the luminaires. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. It was new yeah. to me. So the luminaire is usually something that consists of um, the light filament, you know, your, uh, your bulb or something yeah. like that, into a fixture. Um, well, for an LED light, you have to have, you know, your LED element that's going to light up. Then you have your fixture that holds it, which could be a different shape or something like that. And then you have a, usually an AC to DC transformation that has to occur. Yeah, yeah. And if you think about it, it's that transfer from AC to DC at every light that creates a ton of heat. So the other thing that has to happen Ooh. is that you have to have, uh, based on building code, you have to have a certain amount of space, uh, between uh, your plenum space, between your ceiling yeah, yeah. tiles and, say, your hard floor above, has a minimum of, could be anywhere from 6 to 12 inches. I don't know what it is. Uh, because it's got to have room to dissipate heat. Yeah. And so when you go to LED now, what he's done is he, he, redesigned, he had the manufacturer that he's working with for this hotel he's building and a couple of commercial buildings, take the LED driver out of the light itself, because now the AC to DC transformation is happening at the switch, so your low voltage DC, which is what we're yeah. all used to, going all the way to the light, and and you would have, instead of one LED driver per light, he now, pay, he now gets one LED driver that powers, uh, I think it's up to 12 lights uh, off of that spice box. So he lowers his cost per light, centralizes his... Um, uh, uh, LED driver there, and then in each one of those lights is now also so addressable that, on the network, so he can do things with it. So that's the, if I got that right, then that's part of the savings. Is you'd have a network cable running to that, and then that would you have more lights coming off that. Right. So it'd be like a hub then. Yeah, yeah, kind of like a hub, except that I think, and I think this is changing, but I want to say it was four to six channel addressable channels on yeah. the LED driver, and new LEDs is a, and it, it just lowers the price of the. It lowers the amount of cabling and the amount of space required because he was dealing with some historic buildings that he didn't have much space to work with and he wanted right, to make the okay. ceilings as high as possible. So this also gave him... In fact, he went a step further. He showed me something I hadn't seen before. Sorry to stay on this topic. but No, you keep going. Um, you know, um, so you know on a typical office space you have a, like a grid ceiling. Do you all have those where it's a drop ceiling? Yeah. You drop those acoustic panels. One thing I never thought of is if you think about a ceiling space, just a normal rectangle of drop ceilings, so those acoustic tiles that go in there are, every now and then, you'd have LED lights instead of the drop tile. Yeah. Well, so acoustically, you have a little bit more bounce in the room because you don't have acoustic tile all the way across. You have to have room for light. Yeah. Um, well, now, you can have acoustic tile across the whole thing because that, that framework that the acoustic tile drops into can be replaced by uh, one of the non-structural parts of the frame is actually a light now. So it's a very thin LED tube light that goes across, it replaces the frame itself. Then and the so now your in. ceiling type could be put in by, uh, we got the city of Fort Worth to approve this, the ceiling person could put in that light instead of the, as part of the grid, and now your light's already done as well. You just gotta plug it into your spice box and your LED driver, and you're done. Wow. I don't know if I said that very well, but I think no, it's No, 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 I get it. So basically, the frame that the tile would sit in now becomes the LED light. Yes. 
Yeah, a good way to put it. Yeah, so if I've got that, so something, I've got it now. So yeah, that's <laughs> perfect. That's all I needed. Oh, that's great. So it's all those little elements that add up to more flexibility. And his idea was he wants to pull back to a central control panel, especially for his hotels, where he can see, and he's working with some software developers to do this, where he's got a kind of a, the ability to, to see everything all at once and know, he wants to know in advance that lights aren't working in a room or something didn't work correctly. Because he's putting, he started looking at everything that is DC powered in his hotel rooms. And he realized that it was a DC powered motor for doing the shades in the room. So lowering the shade and opening the curtains, he could put that on the switch and drive it from the switch power. And then he worked with, it wasn't Samsung, I want to say it was LG, a television manufacturer, where they've got a TV coming out that had the uh, low enough voltage so it could drive the TV. So the idea is trying to eliminate as many things on AC Whoa. as he can. See, that's the thing. I'm, I've, I heard last week that they are going to be bringing out, I don't know if this is true or not. It might be technical hey, urban myth. It's true now once we yeah, say yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's on the podcast. Yeah. Um, powering computers from the network. Yeah. I, I, I don't see why that... But then that's... Excru- that, that's I don't for me know it's what a the power draw is, but yeah. it's got to be pretty good because it burns my lap. Yeah, that's me, yeah. But it's, the li- it's always the lighting, though, isn't it? I just remember it's, it's lighting something or a screen is always yeah. the thing that takes most of your volume. I don't know. You're doing running Audacity and things in your podcast to do a couple of those things and your fans yeah. never turn off, yeah. Yeah, anyway, that's, that's interesting. But then he's going away from Wi-Fi and I'm going, why would you plug... You're still going to plug it in, but you're only plugging it in once. Speaking of that, have you heard of Li-Fi? And they have some demonstrations here. Yeah, so Li-Fi... And this is part of the digital ceiling, guys. Oh, oh is it? Yeah, because I went into a, a certain room that I'm not allowed to talk about that uh, had that technology in. So I'm not <laughs> allowed to talk well, about it. the one I'm not. talking about has been out on the show oh, floor. There we go. Okay, I don't great. know where it is here today, but I've seen it at previous Cisco Lives. But it was, it was interesting because essentially imagine the light. You know, the light that we're in right now actually has a refresh rate that we don't really perceive because yeah. it's fast enough, right? Um, so the light is kind of flashing and we don't even know it. All Li-Fi is doing is they figure out how to transmit data over that flash. Yeah. So that now... All those, all of your lights become a data transition. See that, but when I saw like, that demo, that kind of hurts my I was head, like, "This no, is awesome!" Oh, they showed that. Oh, that's what they did show. Well, yeah, yeah, and they yeah. showed it, and they, and they were talking about data rates of. You mean because it's it's uh, they were sort of comparing it to like 11G, which is about 54 meg, but then that's yeah. half duplex, so it's yeah. only like 22 meg, and they go, "No, no, no, it's about 40 meg," and it refreshes about full 50 megs. 50 yeah, you wonder if it's necessary, but if it starts eliminating points and gives us better distribution or eliminating, you know. Well, it's like high high density environments where you don't have to work because because Wi-Fi is great and I love Wi-Fi. Yeah, I mean I am. It keeps getting better. Yeah, is um, there is that challenges that the protocol still has in high density environments such as as this as this right. place itself. The loads we get. But then yeah. you just go actually, I've got a I'm I'm beamforming because it's a light. We, and right. we, when I always do the beamforming analogy, you say it's like a spotlight. But imagine now your data is only ever going to be work in where the light is. Yeah, and it will never go through a wall. It'll never go. You mean you can even put pull the shades down in a room, and that's going to contain your your Wi-Fi environment. That's the bit that it feels I risky. Yeah. Now I wonder too. I was just fascinated by the fact that it could do it. I don't. I haven't ever gone far enough with that one to go. What's I've the got pro some ideas. Con? What's the pro? And, oh, okay. I've got ideas. But Is that in your whisper suite? You can't talk about them yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just the it's certain environments where you're really concerned about RF leakage. Ah, and so so of, so focused, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and because it, it won't go out of a room, as in That's if the point. blinds are down, it wouldn't. I mean, even if, if, if at the end of the day, you could be in a tent. And because if the light doesn't get out the tent, the data's not going to get out the tent. Right. So that's where it's sort of, I don't know. Take now that where you will. Take that where you will. But I think yeah. it's really interesting. But it's really nice to see you've got a something that you've seen back over a couple of years, like digital ceiling, and come down to us. And, and it's fun when we see something we because we all have examples. If you've been at Cisco any number of years or any technology company, where we go down one path, we're very excited. 
and we don't see that next step happening mm. all the time. And but what I've seen at Cisco is even if it feels that way, usually you pull back that onion or you know peel back the layer a little bit, you realize that, oh, we're executing on a lot of things. We just don't call it the same thing anymore because yeah. we recycle acronyms faster than technologies. Oh, yeah, and we have a, we have an acronym police on the podcast as well. If you start, uh, start, we haven't thrown out any yet. So yeah. It's been lucky I'm, I'm able to pick you up on it. Um, so are there any any other ideas or examples well, we're of working, where you've... Yeah, the other one I was going to say was Hyperflex um, in that we're going to be... So I'm currently in plans and I'm not great at speaking to it yet, but we've got a Hyperflex launch coming up. Uh, for the most part, all the technologies so, have so been released. So Hyperflex then? So Hyperflex, yeah. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I know so you, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. where you are, just here. No, this is good practice for me anyway, so I'm going to just, I'm just going to um, practice on your audience. That's okay. So the idea, obviously, is it's, it's extenuation of convergence. Um, on one hand, I love the name, the Hyper hyper-convergence, because it, it kind of says what it does if you can get past the point that where you ask, is it hype, literally, is it hype? Yeah. Um, so we, we know the value of convergence. We certainly, from a Cisco perspective, have UCS, and we, we looked at a new type of convergence that we introduced to the server market with compute and networking being consolidated together. And then we yeah. saw how well we did with that and continue to do, and there's certainly been this notion of, of buying prepackaged converged solutions from NetApp, from EMC. Uh, you know, we spun off a company to do this and have continued to do really well with it. Yeah. Um, and so you have these, what are really expensive converged systems that are essentially, you know, bundled SKUs of hardware that are designed to work really well together because we tested yeah. it that way. But are we no. talking like FlexPods and yeah, FlexPod. Uh, uh, what's it? Well, well, I'm thinking of the company we spent of. Oh, that's horrible. I can't. I'm blanking on the fly. Don't worry. Okay, good. Um, Just keep going. That's the one with EMC. And, um, yeah, the other one, yeah. And uh, uh, so as we hyper-converge, then we say, what's that other painful technology that's always a part of all these solutions? Storage. storage. Yeah, you, you were saying it. Um, you know, because I know that my head is hurt every time I've had to get into storage not having that background. And it's like another language with LUNs and everything else. Yeah, that I remember sitting in a, a meeting with a, a company, and I think they might be here at Cisco Live, and it was really... Uh, I, I, my brain hurt by the end because it was they were just really going into how the disks worked and yeah. why their storage solution was better than everybody else and I went crikey this is so, so complicated yeah there's so many little nerd uh, yeah. avenues to run down and that's cool I like all that and a lot of it's necessary for certain applications certain uh, business problems that have to be supported if you will and so none of that goes away. I think convergence still has a very big play, but hyperconvergence comes along and said, what if we package this all together, not as a as let's bundle some pre-existing solutions and configure them in that way, but more of a let's build from scratch uh, and to a certain extent to do all these functions in one appliance kind of way. So, so basically yeah. then it's it's your, your x86 yep. and your networking, and so your compute, your networking, and your storage all in one box. Is exactly. That? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, that's good. And and uh, now I know you're playing dumb to be host as well. No, no, so no. If you wait. catch me doing something wrong, you got to tell me. No, no, no. Because you're the real engineer. Um, <laughs> I was. So, I don't think um, I was when I was. Yeah, you mailed that card in. So, um, but what I what was interesting about it is so before Cisco, Cisco only came out with their hyperconverged solution a year ago. It was March of last year, and we were fortunate to be able to do that show with TechWise TV and. Um, and now we're coming up on the anniversary, and the product has done really well, over a 1,000 customers. It's got a lot of deployment, and there's a, I can't remember the exact numbers, I'm not good at that kind of thing, but I want to say over 25% of customers to Cisco's HyperFlex solution are net new customers to Cisco UCS. So in other words, you would you they would expect... Wouldn't have bought, they weren't buying UCS when it was just x86. Exactly. They're buying it now when it's, got, when it's the full solution. It's a HyperFlex, HyperFlex, which is basically... 
you know, a specialized application running on UCS. Uh, so as we're putting this story together, you know, I'm trying to figure out what we've improved on, how can I tell that story better? Um, still getting better at it here, because some of the new stuff we've come out with is an all flash array, uh, and, uh, and we're competing against players who have come out and don't have their own hardware. So they're selling software running on top of a Dell server yeah. or something else. In fact, some of them, Nutanix, Simplivity, these guys used to run on UCS, or one of them did. I'm going to mess that up. But, but basically, you, know, you always wonder, since, and then when we got our own solution, they're like, well, obviously we can't support Cisco any longer. And I think they do if a customer begs for it, but essentially we want to sell our pre-bundled solution and they don't want us to get anywhere near that sale. Even from, the, from a networking perspective, and you and I come from, from that, that part of the business, it's we build our own tin and our own software to run on that, and that makes the difference. It, it, right. It, it, and, and that's what I, and I'm pushing the business unit to help me understand what are we uniquely doing. Uh, because we work with a company called SpringPath that was already in the hyper-convergent space early on, and then they got exclusive with us. We haven't bought them or anything. It's just an exclusive, um, I guess, OEM agreement. Yeah. And, um, but what SpringPath did differently that now is our solution um, is a, a, a log-based file structure or an object-based. Um, and it's, boy, I'm not going to do this justice because I've been trying to educate myself on why that makes a difference. But it has to do with the way you write the files. We get a lot of automatic benefits that come out of this, such as um, uh, uh, compression and deduplication. We have that on, you don't have the ability to even turn it off, it has zero effect on, on latency or anything else, whereas every competitor, when they go to compete with us in terms of performance and on moving workloads and processing and such, they will turn those things off to increase performance. But it's, and so, is, so the question that's come to my mind is, is that just competitors competing us on a storage basis, but not on a converged solution basis? Well, the ones I'm thinking of are all on the converged solution basis, converged solution which, basis. Is, which is really hyper-converged. It's like a, a, another simple level of simplification uh, as it relates to um, software-defined storage, essentially. It's okay. just by having it all together. In fact, ours even runs as a tab, essentially, within vSphere. Uh, to make it very easy, so currently that's the only hypervisor we work with, but we're about to, we'll be coming out with more very soon, uh, which some customers are looking forward to, but still the majority of the market. Um, but yeah, th so the idea is that that's comparing their hyperconverged solution to our hyperconverged solution. Um, and, but then uh, because yeah. they, don't, they don't make their own thing, they, they don't make that, and, and they, they don't, and they have a different way in which they do a tr more traditional, and gosh, I don't know all my different, there's a million different ways to do file structures. Okay. But they're dependent on some pre-built, and log structured file systems are not new. They've been around, I was finding papers on their creation and theory back in the 80s, but the implement, not everybody has run with an implementation, but the way essentially you can append a log file also means we're much more efficient with how we utilize Flash. Um, so that led me down this other path of figuring out, okay, well, what benefits especially when everybody pushes for more and more flash, you go, well, flash means fast. It yeah. just means faster access. But it's actually much deeper than that. And how you act with, how you work with flash as a, anyone that's working with storage, is flash wears out really quickly. You can, you can. See, that's um, something I, I didn't even have any concept of. That yeah, flash what I, would what I learned out. is, and I get some of this backwards still because I'm practicing, but you can write in a certain size increment. There's like bits, blocks, pages. Uh, you can write in one size increment uh, but if you want to rewrite in that same space again, I always think you just copy over stuff, you know? But what's happening in the background, in reality, on the flash, is that it has to erase something to put it back on. But every erase cycle you go through uh, degrades the life of the flash. So you have to be, and, and the flash will reach a life where it doesn't work. And so flash is expensive. You put in a lot of money to put this stuff in. Um, and so there's something called a flash transition layer that flash makers 
will pour their software smarts into, which is how well do they handle the right in terms of how they buffer it up and then lay it on. And that's something we do within Hyperflex. We do a efficient job of, of buffering the cache so we can write it more efficiently on there. And then there's, and then there's I'm throwing out terms here, but garbage collection process, which is the part of clearing it back off again. So imagine the efficiency in which you do this. Imagine you're a restaurant and you're trying to, your objective is you need to get plates of clean food you know, out to your customers who are there. But when they finish eating, you've got to pick up their dishes and then run through the dishwasher and then get them back so more food can be put on them. Exactly. So of course you don't have a one-to-one -one ratio of, um, of people. So for Flash, that means you've got uh, three and four times as much space as you need so that you can keep writing down the line, which we can do really efficient with the log-based file structure because we just keep adding more onto the end. And then when we can stick enough together, we can do a more efficient erase cycle and not right. do it prematurely wiping off one big thing and then reuse it and redo the pointers into that new space. So instead of washing up one plate at a time, you wait till they're all finished, then you do a big one big wash up. Exactly, exactly. And if you if you should accidentally run out of plates or in your, your garbage collection process, which in this scenario is your dishwashers, if that part of your system is not working in the cycle correctly, you run the risk of suddenly running out of memory, yeah. or running out of space, and then all of a sudden you're of course stopping your applications from operating. So I don't that, know if that makes sense. No, I'm that makes sense. But the then, what's, what's the solution to the problem, though? So, so when you so as in when you're you're backing you're you're storing your data in chunks. Uh -huh. So you do, so when you fills up and you want to do an erase, you do one erase instead of lots of erases. Right. What happens when you do fill, run out of memory because you filled it up and you have to do an erase? Well, essentially, what's happening within Hyperflex is there's a there's a process that, that depends on how much flash you have available to you that's that's cycling and making decisions about how to contract or expand your cache or your amount of buffer space. Mm -hmm. So the more you have, the better uh, in that sense. And this is assuming we're all doing all those processes efficiently, which is a function both of the flash maker, and of course we handle that for you, and, and how we are interoperating with it from our software perspective. And that's the nice thing about buying a package is that we've put a lot of work into that already. Um, but essentially you're destaging uh, over a period of time, the system is deciding to destage certain elements of data from hot storage to cold storage. And so then it goes into magnetic-based spinning media or something like that where, because the system can realize, and it's kind of a Pareto principle of saying, look, 80% of what I need comes from 20% of that information. The system is constantly figuring out, well, what do you really need access to? I'll keep that more available at the flash layer, yeah. but then I'll put that on cheaper, longer-term storage Okay. Uh, in there. And then Hyperflex goes the additional distance, and by default, and this is configurable, but you're writing, um, you're automatically writing using that log-based system to multiple places at once. It's like a RAID zero, but striped across multiple systems into your pools of storage. Okay. Um, and, and so through UCS also gives us the ability to, no matter where we write that on the storage, we have equal access time based on that fabric to be able to serve it up to the application no matter where it is in the pool, because it looks at it as an entire pool, and that's what gives us the scale uh, for storage. Okay, I think I've got that. I hope you do because I'm I'm on the edge of being able to say it uh, effectively because I, I love you on the I'd, experts. I'd love your restaurant analogy. That is the best one I think I've heard for I'm a long time. Practice that one. I, I'm going to go more. and go back to our data center guys in, in the UK and say you need to do this because then, we'll, then maybe yeah. we'll understand what you're on about half the time. Well, I think so. And I, so that tells me I need to go back and practice it. So it's good to, to learn that from you because I, I read that in a I found a guy a series of blogs that probably five years old, but they were all this guy as he was learning as he was becoming a storage admin. He was sharing all of his tips and tricks about what he learned about working with Flash and various yeah. storage technologies. And he had a couple of different analogies and some nice ways of putting things. So 
I'm always struggling for a good analogy, and that one worked for that. I need to figure out how to expand it to the rest of the story. But, okay. Yeah. I'll leave that when you. Well, when you when it's it's coming out. Wait for the show to come out. I'll wait for the show, I'll and then we'll see what you say. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we've talked about digital ceilings. We've talked about hyperflex, and uh, what what else? What, what do you mean? Well, give us one more, because I know we've been going from for about thirty odd minutes now. So. Yeah. From a, okay. I think we had talked about maybe talking about DevNet, and they've got a great setup here. I've, trying to get a DevNet series going, and I, I started falling in love with, with what was going on here. One, because I like Susie Wee, who runs the DevNet area, and she's got a team of people. Uh, and every Cisco Live, I would go be doing interviews with Cisco TV. It's not really TechWise TV, but I'd go do interviews in DevNet and talk to Rick Twaniak um, and some other really, really smart developer-oriented people that may have at one time been network engineers. And obviously, as I think a lot of your audience probably knows or is maybe thinking about is, what do I need to know as a network engineer? What kind of developer stuff do I need to make sure my career is not going to suddenly derail or be jerked out from underneath me by developers who are doing something different or white box approaches or, you know, where's my value? You always want to think about in your career, where's my value coming from next? Yeah. But if you look at, if you look at software development, it quickly gets overwhelming because then I always try to think, well, does that mean I need to learn Python? Do I need to be a better scripter? Do I need to Ruby uh, uh, Rails, you know? There's so many choices of what you go to from a programming language standpoint, and DevNet has tackled the idea of let's simplify where the value can come from immediately, and it's it's really boils down in, in many ways. I'm gonna way oversimplify this, but to how we pushing put their DevNet is pushing Cisco to publish more APIs as hooks into all of our uh, a gear that we have, so that developers can continue to be encouraged to come in and create things that we never will think of as a company who won't move fast enough to do. So it's really teaching us as a legacy hardware company to really to be a part of the current software game, which means let people interact with our stuff. Let's teach them through DevNet how to, that's going to happen and then continually provide examples for people who are doing creative things with it. Because the one thing I, I, I've taken about DevNet, and I go on there myself, and I was even going on there with my son, to go, we need to, so look, I'm how an old, old your son? My, my son is 13. Yeah, mine's, uh, well, 17. And I yeah, wish he would take more to it, but he's been like, I'm really enjoying this Java programming, Dad. You know, yeah. like, oh, let me throw more at you. And as soon as I throw stuff at him, he seems to run a different direction. Yeah. Speaking of the devil, there's Susie Wee. I shouldn't say Hey, devil. we're waving. <laughs> there you go. That works on a podcast. Oh, yeah, we're waving. Everybody <laughs> see me waving on the mic. Um, yeah, so, but I, I was suddenly with because I'm going, you need to, he, he's making career choices now. And in, in, in the UK, at the age of 13, you make your choices of what you want to do. And he's gone, like, IT. Oh, my gosh. You have to make it that young age? Yeah, yeah, So you sort of get 13, you go, right, okay, I'm going to drop subjects that I don't like. So he's, like, dropping, like, geography and history and languages. And he's focusing on business, IT, computer science, wow. those sort of things. I like the fact y'all force your kids to make that decision. Uh, it's not great, it's but not, it's yeah. like, because you, you know, you well, might get good at it age. later on. Yeah, but that's well, what you got to change your mind at some point, probably. Yeah. You have the freedom. I assume you can do that. But yeah, yeah, it's good to invest in some direction. And I was like going, let's sit down and we'll go on. And I've got it because I need to go on there as well. I said, yeah. I need to do this because I'm an old networking guy and I, we're all talking about the software. I need to learn how to, pro to program. Right. And, and, I, and when we're sitting in front of, my, when I'm sitting in front of customers and we, we talk about automation, we talk about APIs, and they're all looking at me going, is this my job going? And you got to go, no. Your job's not going, your job's just going to change and you've got to get ready for it. And I love the way that DevNet is just, and Cisco is just giving you this environment yeah. to go and play in. I like We've the got education sandbox. focus. It's, yeah. it's, it's teaching you. You I mean, we used to be, you I mean, we made a, I, I remember going and doing my CCMP 
DP. Oh, I didn't get my DP because I failed my, my troubleshooting exam. I got my DP, <laughs> but I did it all myself and I did it all self, self-paced self and, yeah. and it was really hard. And I was yeah. when I got it and I got my DP, I was such an achievement. And now it's like allowing you to go, right, do you know what, I can, go, I can learn to be a programmer. I can learn programming. Yeah. I just got a dev net. Because it's even like basics. Take yeah, it no, I scratch. went through and took it and I'm not, I didn't get anywhere near a CCDP. And I, I love what they've set up because it does take you through the basics and it gives you kit to play on. Yeah. You know, so you can actually go execute against real live Cisco gear or, you know, whatever type of environment you do so that you can test these things out. And then all you're really missing is the physical hardware in front of you. And you come to find that's less and less necessary. Yeah. And, and it's, I just loved it because when we did a DNA roadshow, so DNA, Digital Network Architecture, mm. for all those who haven't nice. heard the podcast. We got the acronym my, police going there. Pick myself up every time. And then... But we did, and, I sh- and at the end of these, this roadshow that we did in front of customers, saying like, here's DevNet, go to DevNet. Just Google oh, nice. DevNet, Cisco yeah. DevNet. You'll get there. You can download the controller, the, the application policy infrastructure controller dash enterprise module, APKM. <laughs> there you go, that's wow, a mouthful. You pay the marketing people, pay you now. Well, there you go. They don't even know what it means. Uh, and, and just to get them used to it, but go there. If you want to learn program, you're in a Python, yeah. go there. And that's the bit I love it, that we're just giving it to them. Yeah. And, and we have guys in our team uh, Nicoletta in our team she, she goes she goes to all the coding stuff she goes to all the coding oh, workshops because she loves it yeah. and, and, and that's the bit I really like that we're, we're we're not just saying go away and learn the program there you go we're actually providing them with an environment and it must be we must spend a fortune on creating this sort of stuff yeah and they're trying to get better at it because I know they're constantly reevaluating themselves and if you've ever met any of the dev evangelists that work under Mandy Whaley's team. These are just freaking awesome individuals. And they're out creating examples, each within their own sphere of uh, expertise, such as data center or UCS specifically. Um, uh, what's his name? John, um, darn it, forget his last name, but he had designed an Alexa-based app to do certain configurations and checks on his UCS server yeah. uh, using Alexa as the interface. And the point is, is it that practical? No, the point is, is that it highlights um, the fact that you've got that level of flexibility, you know, and if you think about, I don't know if you ever went through this mindset when you're so deep into your studies for any level of your uh, certification exams for Cisco, is you go, thank gosh, I'm spending all this time becoming an expert in Cisco's language. And yes, that's valuable because we're certainly deployed places. It's not going to go away. That's not a wasted education. And there's a lot of people that will pay for that knowledge. But how much more valuable is it to fundamentally understand at least the logic behind programming, even if the languages continually change? Because once you get one down, it makes it easy to jump to the next. Yeah. But now you've almost like, I don't want to say it's a universal language, because it certainly isn't, but you certainly have a skill set that is so much more malleable to more situations and creativity yeah. that you're really, I think it opens up your options in ways we can't really predict right now. Yeah. Because if you try to measure it mathematically and precisely, you might be frustrated by it. But if you just follow your instincts and go, this is where the market's going, and now you're not beholden to Cisco or anyone else about where you want your career to potentially go. Yeah, and it's, it's nice that we're helping our customers. And it, it's still down to them. They've still got to sit down and go, i got to put some time in my diary. Yeah, hire a partner. It, yeah. yeah, and it's... it's it's good for them that we're doing that, and I and I, and I really like it. I think I've sort of laboured the point there, but it, it's we're not just leaving our customers out there to drive. Going, you, the market's going there. It's not something Cisco's making is creating. Right. Yeah. The market's going this way. Well, we're having to reteach ourselves how to play in that market because yeah. the market is redefining how we need to play with it. Yeah. We're not always in control like we may have been in certain yeah. aspects of it in the past. Yeah, but and that's, that's great. A good thing. We just got to get comfortable with it. Yeah, and it's um. 
So that's really good to share. And anyway, we're waving again. Uh, oh, oh Linders, he's got us. We got him. We're, we're getting we're, we're photos taken of us now. We're making awesome. we're gone international once again. How are you doing? Hey. Good to see you. <laughs> I'm waving on a podcast and, oh, yeah. and shaking hands as well. Yeah. Hey. No stroopwafels yet with me. No, what? Share what? Stroopwafels. Stroopwafels? Oh I don't understand when you start using you bigger words. It's my cookie. Your, oh, your cookie? Oh. Your my, cookies? my caramel cookie, which oh. I take along and bribe people with. Okay. No, you can come bribe us in just a second. We're almost I would, done. I will do that later, yeah. Yeah. Right. Thanks, Nicole. Nice <laughs> to meet you. I wish I could remember exactly. She's uh, she's a, I want to say data center expert. No, I'm not doing her any favors. Yeah. No, she's a great friend. We didn't mention her great name friend, anyway. Very deep. But deep she's great. <laughs> um, she's good people. Rob, I really appreciate your time. I know we come to the end of our time because you got something what? else to go and film. We're done? Well, huh. I don't know. We talked about the things you want to talk about. Uh, okay. I've only got you for an hour. That's all, all your... Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. The producer will let me over. have with you. Got to pay more if you want more time. Oh. How much does this cost to me? No, nothing at all, man. It's a pleasure. There you go. Rob, I really appreciate it. It's been great to get to understand what's going on and what, what resonates with you. It's great that you see all the things you've revisited about Hyperflex. Now I know what Hyperflex is. Sounds great. Ah, you really didn't know. Yeah, I don't I believe you. I genuinely didn't have a clue what Hyperflex was. Okay, I don't believe you whatsoever. Oh, okay. But, you know, it's, it's a way to do stuff easier, and I'll give it, just if you don't mind, you're probably going to prompt me for this anyway, but our, our show can be found at techwisetv.com oh. or go, uh, cisco.com, go, slash go, slash techwisetv. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at Rob Boyd, three Bs in a row. Uh, if anybody wants to follow along, I don't do a great job of keeping up to date, but I try. So I just tagged you. I just tagged you now when I was uh, try. I will try to get back to it within the day or so. No, it's all right. You just got to go favorite on retweet. Yeah, and just as so when we get the podcast out, we, we'll, you'll get a shout out on there and then just retweet it to all your Share followers. Share some link love, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Rob, thanks for your time, mate. Hey, brilliant. thank you very much. Cheers. All right, John. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, thanks for listening to this very noisy, noisy, noisy podcast and uh, apologies for that. Uh, and if you want to contact the show, just tweet me at, at Justin Woolen or you can email me at justin.woolen at cisco.com. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.